Well, good evening. Um, for anyone who doesn't know who I am, my name is Josh Stewart. I am one of the um, pastors here at First Baptist, and it's my great joy to be able to communicate God's Word with you this evening. So before we get started, let's open up in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you so much for just the opportunity to come here and to praise your name, to praise it through song, to praise it through the um, proclaiming of your word. We pray, Lord, that tonight that our hearts and our minds and our souls will be open to what you're doing. We pray that you remove all distractions in our lives. We have busy weeks coming up, busy lives, things that are happening, things that we're trusting you about. We pray that tonight that we could just set those aside. And we pray, Lord, that we would listen to how you're speaking to us today. Speak through me, an imperfect vessel. Help your word to go out in boldness and in clarity, God, tonight. And help the people in this congregation to hear a better sermon than I preach. Be honored and glorified in all that is said and all that is done. It's in the great and awesome name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Uh, it's hard to believe that it's been a week now since Hurricane Irma wreaked havoc on the United States. Um, Hurricane Irma, I was semi-obsessed um, with it over the past week. Just It was one of the biggest storms to ever hit the United States. Um, and we're very fortunate that it wasn't nearly as devastating as they once feared it would be. Um, it got to a Category 5, which is the highest you can get in a hurricane. It was a Category 5 for a long period of time. Um, fortunately, it went to a Category 4, then a Category 3 before it hit the United States in the southern part of Florida and even became a 2 very quickly after that. Now, don't get me wrong. There was a lot of devastation that happened through Hurricane Irma, but we praise God it wasn't nearly as bad as we once anticipated that it would be. Now, one of the good things about hurricanes, it might be the only good thing about hurricanes, is that you are able to prepare for them. Um, unlike tornadoes that you only have moments to get into a shelter when you hear the tornado siren, hurricanes, you actually have days, even up to a week, to prepare for these hurricanes and their arrival. Uh, Maggie grew up in South Florida, so she's experienced many hurricanes in her life. And so as, we, as Hurricane Irma was approaching, we began to kind of talk about the procedures that people would take in Florida um, to prepare for these hurricanes. One thing they would do is they would board up all the windows to their house. So you go to the store, you get plywood, you board up all your windows, because if anything's going to break when a hurricane comes, your windows are going to break. So you protect your windows. Um, if the hurricane isn't too bad, you stay there and embrace the hurricane, and so you don't want stuff flying through your windows. You get enough water to last you for a while. They say a gallon for every person in your house for how many days you're going to do it. So if it's five people in your house, you think you're going to be out of power for five days, you get 25 gallons of water. You get food. There's actually a hurricane emergency kit that most people have that they keep in their house, a first aid kit. You're prepping for this hurricane. You're prepping for its arrival. Well, the crazy thing is, is if you were around Dublin last week, there was kind of this type of preparation that happened here. I feel like it was more of a panic than a preparation, but everybody got ready for this hurricane that would be a tropical storm once it came through Dublin. Um, last Thursday, the Thursday before the hurricane came, Maggie and I went grocery shopping, just our regular routine, and it was an absolute nightmare at the grocery store. We went in there, there was people were going crazy trying to get every water bottle they had available or every case of waters, food was flying off the shelf, and apparently when hurricanes come or tropical storms, you need bread, water, and milk because that's everything that's gone. Um, I mean, I looked down the bread aisle, and we, we got stuck getting hamburger buns because it was the only thing that was left. And it was crazy. Everybody was preparing for this. We were prepping for this big tropical storm. 
And I will admit that I kind of gave in to the, the panic or the preparation. Um, I didn't think it'd be too bad when it hit here, but there was kind of some rumors that it might knock out the power in a lot of the state of Georgia. And I recognize that Dublin is not the biggest city in, in Georgia. So I thought, man, if power gets knocked out in Atlanta or Macon or Savannah, they're going to prioritize getting their power back before ours. So I'm going to make sure that we are prepared for this. This is going to give you a little bit of a glimpse of what it's like to live with me. Um, and so the night before it came, um, we have a well pump. So if the, water, if the electricity goes out, we can't get water. So I filled up all of our bathtubs with water. I got an 18 gallon storage container, cleaned it out, filled that up with water. Every, wa every bottle that our children have, like drinking bottles and cups, filled all them up with water. I got old milk gallons, filled them up with water. I got gallon tea containers, filled them up with water. And I went and got a few cases of like the 24 packs of water at Kroger. So I was part of those people that took all the water. And so we were very prepared for this. I was prepped for this. I was ready for this. And we did. We were out of power for, you know, about, I guess it was close to, you know, 30 hours or so. Some of y'all were out for much longer than that. But we were prepared. We had everything that we needed. And it's good. It's good as people that we prepare for hurricanes, that we prepare for tropical storms, that we make sure we're ready when the time comes. But what we're going to talk about tonight is there is a day that is coming that all of us in this room must prepare for. In fact, not just everyone in this room, but everyone on this planet must prepare for. Because this is going to affect not just the state or the southeastern part of the United States. We have a day that is coming that everyone who's ever lived or ever will live will be affected by this day. And as believers and as people, we need to prepare. We need to prepare our hearts and we need to prepare our actions. And so we're going to talk about today how we can prepare for this day that is coming, this inevitable day that will arrive, and how we are called to prepare even today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Malachi, is where we're going to be today. Uh, Malachi chapter 4. This is our last sermon in the book of Malachi. Some of you are probably so excited to hear this. Um, this is my ninth sermon in the book. Um, and so this is the ninth sermon as we go through the book of Malachi. And if you've been with us through this journey, I mean, I hope that God has done as much in your life through this book as he has in mine. This has been very challenging, not just from a preaching standpoint. I originally thought I was going to get through the book in five sermons. <laughs> that didn't happen. Um, and from preparing for this and then just, you know, processing over it and allowing the Holy Spirit to work it in my heart. I've been convicted of so many sins as I've been preparing these sermons, I mean, the book of Malachi is a book about people who are sinning against God, and God is calling them back to repentance through the prophet Malachi, and God's called me back to repentance. I've been encouraged through this book, and so my heart and my prayer for this sermon today is that for one last time through the book of Malachi, that God would work in each one of our lives, that we'll be open to what he's saying to us, what he's revealing to us, and it will allow us to honor him and glorify him with our lives and love him more deeply. And so let's read what it says in Malachi chapter 4. It's only six verses, and we're going to walk through all six of them. That's what it says. It says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statues and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, 
in the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of other destruction. And so this day that is coming, this day that is inevitable for everyone who's ever lived or ever will live, is something called the day of the Lord. Now the day of the Lord is mentioned all throughout the Old Testament, it's mentioned all throughout the New Testament. And what the day of the Lord is, it's the day that the Lord returns. It's the day that the world as we know it will end. Revelation gives us more insight into this day of the Lord, and we see that it's the second coming of Jesus. It's when Jesus returns again, and he will establish the new heavens and the new earth, and he will come, and he will rule, and he will reign on this earth for all of eternity. And so the day of the Lord is coming. This is the day that we must prepare for. And Malachi gives us three things that we should do as we prepare for this day of the Lord. The first thing we're going to examine today is that we should prepare our hearts by fearing God. We should prepare for this day of the Lord, secondly, by living faithfully. And the third thing we're going to see here today is that we should prepare for the day of the Lord by witnessing to others. So this day is coming that all of mankind will experience. And as we long for that day, as we anticipate that day, we're going to see that we're called to fear the Lord, we're called to live faithfully, and we're called to witness to others. And so that's what we can do as we prepare for this day. And so the first thing we see about this day is we're going to talk a little bit more about what Malachi talks about what this day is going to be like, the day of the Lord. And as we process through this, there's two different groups of people here that we're going to examine. And everyone who's ever lived or ever will live will fall under these two groups of people. The first group of people, the day of the Lord will be a day of great terror. It'll be a day of great judgment. It'll be a day of great intensity that will come for them. Horrible intensity. Something that is fierce. And it's coming. But for the second group of people, in fact, it'll be the exact opposite for them. For the second group of people, this is going to be a day of great blessing. This is going to be something that we long for, something that we anticipate for, that we pray, come Lord Jesus, because we can't wait for the day of the Lord to come. So there's two groups of people, which everyone on this planet, or anyone who's ever lived, will fall under these two groups of people. And so let's examine why for one group of people would this be such a horrible day? And why for the other group of people, this will be a great day of blessing, a day of reward, a day to celebrate and anticipate. Well, let's walk through here and see what it says. Verse 1, going back, it says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so it will leave them neither root nor branch. And so the first group of people that we see that this will be a day of great judgment and intensity are the people that Malachi calls the arrogant and the evildoers. These are people that are evil in their actions. These are people that disobey God's holy commands that he's given them. They're evil in their actions. They're evil in the things that they do, their thoughts, the way they treat people, the way they treat God. But we see not only are they the evil, but it says that they're arrogant as well. What it means by arrogant is that they're prideful, Right? They either disregard God, they don't feel like they need to listen to God or worship God. Maybe they worship false gods, or maybe they believe that they're their own God. They set their own rules, they set their own agenda, they do exactly what they want to do whenever they want to do it, and no one can tell them otherwise. They're arrogant, they're evil. And so for the arrogant, for the evildoer, that this day is going to be terrifying. Look how it's described. He gives us a little bit of an illustration, and he compares it to fire and to wood. And as anyone in this room who's ever done anything with fire and wood, you know that they don't go well together. 
So he says that the day is coming and it's burning like an oven, right? Oven brings heat, it brings intensity. So the day is coming, a day of great intensity is coming and it's burning like an oven when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble, and it says, and it says that the Lord will set them ablaze and they will be neither branch nor root will be left. And so the day is coming in great judgment. It's like great fire that's coming. I mean, don't think about like a, like a fireplace where, you know, you get warm to, or even like a, a campfire that you roast s'mores under. Like, that's not the type of fire. This is a fire that will set them ablaze. I mean, imagine like a house being consumed with a fire, or there are massive forest fires that they happen often out west. Like these massive burning fire that's going to be so strong and so intense that the root won't be left, the branches won't be left, that there'll be stubble. It even says in verse 3 that they're going to turn to ashes is how intense this day is going to be. And that's terrifying. Imagine being caught in a house that is set aflame and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, that's in a horrible situation to be in. And it says that this day of the Lord is coming. It's even more intense than that. And the Bible tells us in other parts of Scripture that it won't just last for a moment or for a week or even a year. The Bible tells us that this great intensity of the day of the Lord that is coming for the arrogant and the evildoers would burn and be intense for all of eternity. Because the reality is when you sin against an eternal God, you deserve an eternal punishment. And because we sin against an eternal God, we deserve an eternal punishment. And so this is a day of great intensity, but it won't let up or go away. It will continue to be intense for all of eternity. I mean, this is terrifying, absolutely terrifying. And this says it's for those who are the arrogant and the evildoers, right? So who are the arrogant and the evildoers? Great question. Are there the people who are in prison cells, the people who committed the horrible crimes, those people way out there, right? Those are the evildoers and the arrogant, well, actually, that's not the case. The Bible tells us in Romans that there is no righteous, no, not even one person who is righteous. Meaning that all of us in this room and all of us in this planet, on our own strength and our own ability, we are the arrogant and the evildoers. If you've ever done anything evil, right? If you said a lie, if you've stolen something, you thought a bad thought against someone, if you've ever not done something you're supposed to do, if you've ever been arrogant towards God, saying, God, who are you? I don't need to listen to you. I'm my own God. Even for a moment, we're considered the arrogant and the evildoers. And all of us and everyone on this planet deserves to be set ablaze by God's eternal judgment that you and I rightly deserve because of our sins. So the evildoer and the arrogant is anyone who falls short of God's glory, of God's righteousness, which is all of us. And so all of us on our own strength and our own merit, if we stand before God and say, was that good enough? God will respond and say, you evil, arrogant person. No, you were not because you sinned greatly against me. So a terrifying man, that's horrible. If I ended the sermon right there, this would be a sad night, devastating night. But praise God. Praise God for his word. Praise God there's good news. And so we see in verse 2, the first way that we can prepare our hearts for the day of the Lord, and the first way that we prepare our hearts is by fearing the Lord. Look what he says in verse 2. This first group of people, horrible day that is coming. Second group of people, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for there will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. 
And the second group of people, the ones who experience great blessing, who can rejoice in this day, are those who fear the Lord. We talked about this a lot last time, last sermon in Malachi. This is someone who's like terrified of something, like you're terrified of clowns, you're terrified of God. It doesn't mean that you run away from him or you're scared of him. That's not what that word fear means here in scripture. What fear means is that you have a great awe and a respect and a worship towards him. You recognize that he is holy and that he is righteous and that he is set apart in all of his ways and he's perfect. And you realize that you are sinful and that you are separated from God because of your sin. You realize that he deserves all your worship and your praise and your adoration. And you desire to love him and to honor him in all that you do. Those who fear the Lord. And we talked about it last sermon, how that um, translates in the New Testament. We see that those who fear the Lord in the New Testament after the return of Christ are those who accept and believe Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That is the first and basic way that you fear the Lord. So for those who fear the Lord, who trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they recognize that they're separated from God because of their sin. They say, I know, I'm the arrogant, I'm the evildoer. I don't deserve any of God's blessing. And I deserve his wrath and for him to set me ablaze with his judgment. But man, praise be to God that Jesus came. He lived that perfect life that you and I could not live. He died on the cross for our sins, experiencing God's judgment and wrath that you and I deserve. And he raised from the dead three days later, victorious. And so we're called to trust him, to believe in him, to fear him, saying, God, you are awesome, God. I trust you and I believe in you. You're my Lord. You're my Savior. On your righteousness, on your merit, I must come before the Father. So for those who, who fear the Lord, who accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, look how this day is going to be like. It's the exact opposite. The first day, it's like someone's coming and setting them ablaze. But see what it's like for the, the second group of people, those who fear the Lord. It says, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. I love that term, the Son of Righteousness. There's a debate there. Is that talking about Jesus? In fact, there's a translation that even capitalized Son of Righteousness because they do believe it's talking about Jesus. Or maybe it's just talking about the day of the Lord in general. That it would just, the son of righteousness will come. I like to believe it's talking about Jesus. And so it says, the son of righteousness shall come and he'll have healing in its wings. Or healing in its rays. I mean, this glorious sun that is shining. And as it shines on you, as it, as it comes across your face, as you feel it, there's healing in it. That means complete spiritual restoration. Spiritual renewal. It means that finally that you are fully healed from all of your sicknesses, from all of your diseases, from all of your sinful nature, from the sinful world that's around us, from the enemy that pursues us like a roaring lion, that we're freed from this, that we're completely healed because the son of righteousness is coming with restoration and healing in his wings. And then he follows that up and he says that not only will be healing to you, spiritual restoration and spiritual renewal, but you'll be like a calf that leaps from its stall. There's probably, I doubt anyone in this room that's ever seen a calf leap from the stall. Right? I've never seen one. But what I have seen is I've seen a dog that's been cooped up in a cage for hours. And as soon as you let that dog out of the cage, the excitement and the joy that comes over their face. I mean, they leap out, their toes are wagging, they're barking, they're excitement. I mean, they're going crazy because they're so excited that they were cooped up and finally they've been set free. And that's what it's referring to here, this, this calf that's been in a stall, it's been, just, it's been restricted, right? And that's what we are in our lives today. When we trust and believe in Jesus, we have the righteousness before the Father, right? We have a relationship with him. Our sins have been forgiven, but we still live in a sinful world. 
We're still bound by our sinful nature. We still have an enemy that pursues us. And so it's, it's like we're in the stall, right? I mean, we're longing for the day that the doors will fly open. We'll be able to go out and rejoice and celebrate, right? He's representing satisfaction, complete satisfaction, complete joy, and complete freedom that is coming. I mean, imagine how awesome the day will be when no more sickness, no more, sin, no more sinfulness, complete healing, and then we have joy and satisfaction and complete happiness fully. Because the son of righteousness has come. Yes, this should be a day that all of us as Christians long for. So we fear the Lord because the son of righteousness is coming. And he's coming with healing. He's coming with restoration. He's coming with freedom and joy. Man, I hope you see how great our God is. Because all of us deserve to be in the first group. Every single one of us. But with God's great love, love and mercy and kindness and grace to us. He says, I will bring healing, I'll bring restoration, and I will come, and this will be a day that you long and anticipate. And you say, like the apostles said, come, Lord Jesus. I can't wait for that day. So the first thing that we must do to prepare for the day of the Lord is that we prepare our hearts. We prepare our hearts by fearing the Lord, by trusting and believing in Jesus. And so that's the first challenge to each of us in this room today. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? When it comes to salvation, it doesn't matter how often you've gone to church. It doesn't matter if you're a member of a church. It doesn't matter if you read through the Bible a thousand times. It doesn't matter if you pray every day. It doesn't matter if you're a Sunday school teacher. It doesn't even matter if you're a pastor. Charles Spurgeon, a famous pastor, said no one's going to get to heaven because they're a reverend, right? No one's getting to heaven because they have reverend tagged to their name. That all those things, when it comes to salvation, does not matter. What matters is that you trust and believe in Jesus, that you trust that he's your Lord and that he's your Savior and that you come before the Father on his righteousness, on nothing else that you can do. So my great challenge to all of us in this room is to examine our hearts. Have we trusted Jesus? Do we fear the Lord? Do we fear him enough to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior so we can be fully freed from our sins one day when he comes to restore us and now we can have our sins forgiven, made righteous before God, and have a relationship with God. How awesome is that? And so prepare your heart today. My challenge to you is, are you a believer? If you're not, my greatest desire for you to come and talk to me afterwards. Talk to any of the other pastors in this room. Talk to the person that brought you here today. What does it mean to trust in Jesus? And we'd love to walk a little bit more in depth of what that looks like. So you can experience great restoration and healing and freedom and satisfaction when the day of the Lord comes. Instead of experiencing the, the agony and the, the fire and the judgment that you deserve. Man, what an awesome God. And so the first thing we do is we prepare our hearts. And the second thing we do is we, as we long and we anticipate this day of the Lord. We don't only prepare our hearts, but we prepare our actions. Malachi tells us how we can prepare our actions. Look what it says down in verse 4. It says, Remember the law of my servant Moses. The statues and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. So after saying, talking about the day of the Lord, reminding them that judgment is coming, because all throughout the book of Malachi, they've been questioning God's justice, right? Where is the God of justice? Is there any benefit in serving you? Is, are the evil people ever going to be punished? And Malachi, summing up this book, remind them, yes, they'll be punished. When the day of the Lord comes, they'll be accountable and be judged for all of their sins. And so he says, but as that day approaches, how can you prepare your actions? And he gives us Moses as an example. So Moses was the 
the who one who God gave the law to, right? Moses went to Egypt, demanded that God let the people go and through all the plagues. Finally, Pharaoh said, you can go. So, God, so, Pharaoh, so Moses took the people out of Egypt and heading towards the promised land, and he rested it on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. And while he was up there, God gave him the law. He gave him the Ten Commandments. And what Moses is, is Moses is not only the person who God gave the Ten Commandments to, but often in Scripture, he's referred to as the one who is faithful. Faithful Moses. He wasn't perfect. We see towards the end of his life, he sinned against God. He sinned multiple times against God. But he still was an example of what it would be like. Because it kept saying one greater than Moses was coming, right? Jesus was coming who was greater than Moses. So Moses was the standard of what faithfulness looked like. And so what he's doing here is Malachi saying, I want to remind you, unfaithful Israel, who are sinning against God, be reminded of Moses and be reminded of Moses' faithfulness and what God has taught him, what God has given you in the Ten Commandments. Remember Moses and who he is and his faithfulness. And so what it's saying to us today, it's a reminding us of our faithfulness to God. As we prepare for the, for the day of the Lord, we should live lives that are faithful to God, like Moses did in listening to God's commandments and what he said. The word faithful means that you're committed to something, right? To be faithful to your spouse, you're committed to your spouse. And so what it means to be faithful, it means to be committed. And it means that you allow God's word to govern the way that you live your life. You allow what God says in his word to govern your actions, right? To govern your thoughts, to govern the things that you say. Because you're committed to God. Not to earn God's approval. We talked about we can't do that. But we do it because we love God out of obedience, out of gratitude for what he's done for us. And so we're committed to God and we live faithful. We're faithful to what he's done for us. Which means if God's word tells you not to lie, you don't lie. If God's word tells you not to cheat on a test or cheat on your homework, you don't cheat on a test or cheat on your homework. If God's word tells you that you should respect those who are in authority around you, you respect those who are in authority around you. And if God's word tells you that he alone deserves all your worship and all of your praise and all of your adoration, then you give God all your worship and your praise and your adoration. You're faithful to who God is. You live a faithful life out of love and out of gratitude to what he's done. I mean, he says it like, remember the law, recall it to mind, remember Moses, and remember what he's taught you. And so as believers, we remember Moses as an example. We remember God's word that he's given us, and we allow it to govern our lives, which means as believers, you need to get into God's word. You get into God's word on Sundays when you hear it preached and proclaimed to you, but it means that on your own throughout the week that you take time to get into God's word, to learn God's word, to study God's word. How can you be faithful to God and his word if you don't know God and you don't know his word? And so you take time to study it, you examine it, and out of love and gratitude because the son of righteousness has come and he's coming again. As an expression of your love, as a thank you letter to God, you live a life that is faithful. As you prepare for the day of the Lord, for the day of his arrival, you live a life that is faithful to him. And so the first thing we do is we prepare for the day of the Lord, right? We don't board our windows and collect water. Instead, we first prepare our hearts by accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And the second thing we do is that we live lives that are faithful to him. We listen to him. We're committed to him and committed to what he said. And thirdly, we see that we witness to others. Verse 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And so he gives us, he says, before this great and awesome day comes, Elijah will come. 
And there's different debates on what this means. Some people think Elijah in the flesh will come. Maybe he's supposed to be one of the two witnesses that we see in Revelation chapter 7. Maybe one is coming with the spirit of Elijah. Maybe very similar to John the Baptist who came in the spirit of Elijah. Maybe that means that someone will come who will be a great witness. He won't be Elijah, but he'll come in that same type of spirit of Elijah. And what it means to come in the spirit of Elijah, that you did what Elijah did, you did what John the Baptist did, is that you were calling people back to the Lord. Elijah had a very, very hard ministry. Man, you think we have it tough. He was in, during the king era, when the kingdom split and, the, and Israel was very far from God. The kings were very far from God through most of um, Elijah's tenure. But he was one who would call them back. Remember Ahab calling him back to the Lord. It rained for like three and a half years. And there was a showdown with the prophets of Baal calling them back. And there's other, other kings, like King Hezekiah, that he's calling him back. He's, a, he's reminding him of who God is. He was a witness, just like John the Baptist was calling people to repentance. And so praise God that someone will come and call people to repentance during the end of the age. Or at least someone in the spirit of Elijah will come. But I think it also, this connects to you and I today. Because as we long for the day of the Lord, you and I should be witnessing to the people around us. You should be calling people. And it says here that fathers back to their children and, and children back to their fathers. That means they're turning back to the Lord. And we're called as individuals to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to those around us. There's different ways that we can do that. I mean, if you feel called to go on the street corner and proclaim the good news of Jesus, you can do that. Um, but I think the best way that we can proclaim the good news of Jesus is something I like to call in our sphere of influence. Right? These are the relationships that are naturally around us, at our workplace, at our homes, at our schools, the relationships with our neighbors, the people that we naturally come around. And that we build relationships with them. And through those relationships, we share the good news of Jesus Christ. You remind them of what God has done for them. You remind them that the Lord is coming back. We do it in love. We do it in gentleness. The Apostle Paul tells us. But in the people around us, we proclaim the good news of Jesus. It is so easy not to talk about Jesus outside of church. It's an easy thing to do. It's easy to go in and out of work and never mention his name. It's easy to get around non-believing family and never talk about Jesus. That is an easy thing to do. But I want to challenge you, and God's word wants to challenge you today, to look for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with the people around you, even if it's hard. And if there's no one around you that needs to hear it, then I would say expand your sphere of influence to people around that do need to hear the good news of Jesus. Interact with them. Talk with them. I mean, imagine if you're if your workplace, you say every single person here, the ones that I interact with, I want to eventually have a gospel conversation with them. Over time, over weeks, over months, I want to talk with them, I want to get to know them, and I want to share the gospel with them and how it connects to their life. Maybe your neighbors, you think, i got two neighbors, I have no idea who they are. Maybe new neighbors moved in down the street. They, I want to get to know them so I can share the gospel with them. Maybe it's family members who might be the hardest people to talk to about Jesus. You think, I want to find time at our next get-together to bring up the gospel. Not to bang it over their heads or wrestle them to the floor and get them in a chokehold until they say they're going to accept Jesus. Right? Just bring up the gospel, bring up what Christ has done for them, and allow the Holy Spirit to work. But you and I, as we prepare for the day of the Lord, we should be witnessing to the people around us. We should be interacting with them. And so ask yourself, God, how can I witness to the people around me? How can I witness to the people that I interact with on an everyday basis? And, and empower me, Holy Spirit, to do that. Give me the strength. Give me the courage to do it. Help me not to back down because it's so easy to do that. 
And so the, the things that we should do as we prepare for this day of the Lord, as we prepare for his arrival, is first we prepare our hearts. The first step is to accept and believe in Jesus, to fear the Lord. And then after that, we live lives that are faithful to God because it honors him. And when we sin, we repent. And we continue living faithful lives and allow the Holy Spirit to empower us to do that. And then we also were a witness to the people around us. We look at Moses and Elijah as the examples. And we go out and we tell people of this great and awesome God and this great day that is coming. And we long for all of them to be on the side that receives healing and restoration and freedom and satisfaction, not getting what they deserve. Man, we're at a great and awesome God. So if you have any questions on what that looks like, please come down and talk with me in just a moment. Talk to me in my office throughout the week. Come see Will or, or Pastor Cliff or Jonathan or Bob. Come by and see us. We'd love to talk to you about this and what this looks like for your life and examine and unpack more of the scripture. It's hard to do that in just a brief period of time. So let's pray. God, you're awesome. Man, you're so awesome. <laughs> this, this verse that can be so ser- terrifying, that can cause us to tremble because of your holiness and your righteousness and all that we deserve is your judgment and to be set ablaze, to be completely stubble and ruined and per- turned into ashes. But Lord, there's so much hope there because the Son of Righteousness has come and he's coming again. And so I pray, Lord, that we would fear your name that we would trust Jesus Christ, that we would worship you and adore you and love you for all that you've done. And Lord, as we prepare, as we wait, maybe it will come in our lifetime, maybe it will come a thousand years from now, the day of the Lord. But as we wait and as we anticipate, Lord, help us to live lives that are faithful to you because we love you and we're thankful for what you've done. Help us to be committed to you and allow your word to govern our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we would also witness to the people around us. Strengthen us to do that. Empower us to do this. Open our eyes to the lost people and help us to step into challenging situations and be your witness. And we can be instruments that you use to lead people to yourself. Be glorified in our lives. Be glorified with us throughout the week. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Malachi that we've studied over the last nine sermons. Man, we praise you for it. And this is in the awesome name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Let's do